I mean, I, I can laugh looking back now, but um, the moment I realized something was wrong was my commanding officer had suggested I, I talk to the to the mental health nurse. So being a dutiful Marine, I showed up and, and decided that I was going to lie through my teeth to this to this poor woman and do what I had to do to get back in the gang. And, you know, the conversation went fine. We had a, we had a really nice conversation for about an hour. And she said, OK, we don't need to talk anymore. Off you go, Chris. As I was walking out the door, she asked me a simple question. And she said, just out of interest, Chris, in my inner dialogue in my head, how many voices do you hear? And I smiled and laughed and said, three, just like everybody else, and went to walk out the door. And she said, I think you should sit back down now. Um, and then explained to me that that wasn't normal, that wasn't right. And um, that for me was a, was a huge moment. And you know, now I can look back and laugh because it's, it's, it's almost funny that, that I was so incredulous to, to what was going on. But I think that was the big moment for me. Welcome to the Mentality Podcast. We're recording at the incredible Wheatwood Hall Hotel Podcast Studio. This is a podcast that goes way beyond stigma. We talk about men's mental health and mindset. We encourage the type of conversation that will open you up to another way to live life, another way to see yourself and the world around you. If you are ready for that, you're in the right place. I'm Stevie Ward and I'm an ex professional rugby league player and captain and now I guess I'm a bit of a podcaster, speaker, actor, writer, entrepreneur. I'm still working all that out but at Mentality we help men take control of their mindset by teaching them to find purpose, resilience and what I believe is the new success inner peace. That sounds good. If you are that guy who is waking up to the fact that they need to do something different in life and the same old habits aren't working for you, it might be time to step up. If you want to start your journey with us, you can go to mentality.co.uk forward slash coaching to join the best team you have ever seen. Chris, we've got two Chris's yeah, on today. Yeah. We've got two Chris's on today. We've got Chris Oh, up. no. <laughs> yeah. So this is going to be fun. We're going to go with Just Chris O. another name, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've got many names for you, Anna. Chris O. So I'll... Yeah. Uh, shall I just pick? I've got a nickname. We've got a nickname for him. We'll, we'll just call <laughs> We're not him. going with some of them. Yeah. <laughs> we'll call you Chris O when I remember. Chris O, right. Um, That's cool. Well, the other Chris we've got on today is Christopher Hayes. And we are wanting to talk to Chris about being linked up from chatting about the veteran games, actually. And I want Chris to be able to um, to explain this a bit bit more as we go on. But also, after a life in the Royal Marines, you have managed to diversify with being an artist, somewhat, somewhat an artist and an, an MMA practitioner and someone who is pushing into the journalist and motivational speaking world. So thanks for coming on, Chris, and I'm looking forward to getting into this chat. No problem. I'm uh, really happy to be here, guys. Thank you. Uh, thank you for this, uh, for being able to talk on the platform. It's uh, it's great. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, so, mate, let's start at the beginning. Could you tell us a little bit about your life growing up, mate, and, and what led to you going into the Royal Marines? Uh, so I hail from the uh, Misty Mountains of Wales, very mysterious, dark place. And I didn't have a great childhood growing up. I 
you know, dealt with a lot of um, silly things like bullying and um, home life wasn't great. So, um, you know, for me, I, I really feel like I missed out on a lot of quote unquote normal, normal things. And then I decided to join the Royal Marines at 19 and it had everything that I wanted. It was a fraternity. It was a brotherhood. It was a big family. And, you know, it really helped me develop as a, as a young man into the, the men I looked up looked up to in the Royal Marines who, you know, were, um, a young and spry recruit. You know, these men looked like heroes of old, uh, integral, honorable, strong, fast, uh, intelligent. And um, I really wanted a piece of that. You know, I, I really wanted a piece of that. And, um, you know, looking back, I, I think that was probably me trying to institute some sort of father figure into my life. But ended up serving seven years, wouldn't change a thing. Met some incredible men, incredible men, and learned some incredible lessons. And it, and it also made me the man I am today. You know, it taught me to embody the ethics and values of the Marines, that the Marines Institute within, within, their, um, within their men. Again, honor, integrity, courage in the face of adversity, very, very valuable lessons, especially later in life when I started to suffer with my mental health. Very, very important lessons, I, I feel. And what do you think drove you to making the choice to, to join in the Marines, mate? Do you, do you feel like you needed that structure, that, that sort of challenge? What, what do you feel like made you make that decision? Uh, yeah, challenge, o almost certainly challenge. I mean, as you can imagine, life in the valleys in Cardiff is um, not particularly interesting. And I, I, I needed challenge. I needed challenge and I wanted family and I wanted brotherhood. And I, and I received it in spades. I think for me, probably, probably the biggest part of pushing into the Marines was how hard it was to join. I remember going to the careers office and I originally wanted to join the Welsh Guards, uh, an army regiment, and sort of started, started that process. And uh, a very large, uh, obviously very handsome Marine Wiccan at the Cardiff Armed Forces Centre called me to one side and started to explain what the Marines was, started to explain their ethics and morals and um, you know, their principles behind excellence told me how hard it would be to pass out as a Marine. I'm sure you've about the 30 miler we need to run at the end and the other commando mm -hmm. tests. And um, that appealed to me. It really appealed to me because, you know, I felt like he was sort of insinuating that I couldn't do it so hard that, that only, uh, you know, um, the 99% need not apply. And that, and I bought into it hook, line and sinker. I really did. And, and challenge is a phenomenal thing, I think, for young men. I think we need challenge, or, or, um, or otherwise we stagnate. We, we don't build momentum around ourselves. Yeah, challenge is so important. Bruce, just to uh, add into that, we had a, we did a podcast with Gareth Timmins, who also was a Royal Marine Commando. And I remember him saying that he went through rugby league um, growing up and he didn't get the contract he wanted, at, I think, around 18, so he, he backed rugby league. And, and then don't want to put words in his mouth but we spoke to him a few times and he would say that he kind of had this almost like uh, masculine energy he needed to put somewhere that it was sport and when it wasn't when he didn't go in the Marines he, he would go out drinking and just get into fights and things like that and he says if he didn't make it in the Marines he doesn't really know where he would have ended up it probably would have been a good place did you have a kind of um, like mm. an urge to, to put this somewhere this aggression or whatever it is that kind of feeling yeah, I completely agree. I mean, um, again, you know, life in a, in a small valleys community is usually a lot of lads in trouble at the pub. And, you know, very early on, I started to realize that uh, that wasn't a good path to be on, especially, again, you know, the, um, the semantics of living in a small village. I would see older guys who were doing nothing. They had no momentum about them, no challenge. And, um, 
you know, they were dossers. They, they would sit in the pub all day and, uh, and, and, and brine themselves almost. And I realized that that wasn't for me. That really wasn't for me. And I think I, I had a lot of trouble connecting with the people around me because, you know, they weren't driven uh, and they didn't want challenge. And then sort of, you know, with the Marines uh, luring me in with this, uh, this challenge of, uh, of earning the coveted Green Beret, it, it bore me hook, line and sinker. It really did. Yeah, mate. Like, where do you think that drive came from for you? Like, different to, to the friends that were that sat in the pub and just happy to, to like, it's almost like a sense of restlessness in it. And like, um, I don't know, I completely relate to how you feel. Like, you almost feel like you're losing ground if you don't, don't keep moving and you don't progress somewhere. Where do you think that came mm, from, from for you? Yeah. It's, uh, it is tough to encapsulate that, that feeling, isn't it? It's a very... Um, a very human emotion, but it's so hard to encapsulate. You know, I think you're right. You, you, you do feel like you're losing ground and you're, you're not garnering momentum. But where it comes from, I, I couldn't tell you. I think, um, I think people are born with it. I really do. I think you can develop it also. But for sure, especially, I, I don't want to sort of go on about, you know, Western cultures and, and lack of male role models. But, you know, especially for young men, there seems to be, no outright challenge for them to develop. You know, there seems to be this this falling by the wayside of of just no momentum in life for for you that they challenge all them. Um, it's so tough to encapsulate that feeling, but I would I would completely agree with you. It is intrinsic inside of you, and and I'm sure this will resonate with a lot of people. But you know, if you're not getting after it, if you're not doing something, if you're not creating, if you're not making ground in your sort of chosen passion you do feel like you're wasting time almost and, and it yeah. pulls at you inside and gnaws at you. Yeah, 100%, 100%, mate. And how, how did the, the journey progress then with the Royal Marines, mate, after, after your past selection and you, you joined up with the Royal Marines? Could you take us through that and to the moments when you were medically, like you said, discharged with mental health, health issues? Um, so I had a very, not, not, a, not a very interesting career, unfortunately. I passed out as a Marine and went to 4-5 Commando. I spent about seven years in service, you, you know, doing various uh, exercises, training, things like that. And I think part of my problem was that I had a lot of issues from childhood um, that were unresolved. And, and that sort of seemed to build and build and build. You know, and I had a point in my career where I, I fell off an eight-foot wall um, and, and hit my head. And, and I lost um, a few days. And that seems to have, have exacerbated things at, at one point. And it kind of felt like a... Um, you know, weeks later after that, that I wasn't coping anymore um, and I couldn't deal with things. And then I was very lucky to be sent to somewhere called Hazard Company, which is sort of the, the premier of rehab facilities for the, for the Royal Marines. that has been now opened up to the tri-service uh, forces. And there I was very, very lucky there. Uh, I, you know, I was very privileged as a Marine because you, you do get to meet a lot of driven individuals and a lot of men who have faced adversity and overcome it and have learned, you know, hard life lessons. But when I joined Hazard Company, you know, essentially I, I was I was serving with with Marines who weren't fit for service anymore. They they were about to be medically discharged. They were injured in Afghanistan, or they were mental health cases. You know, the, the men I met there were, were completely polarizing to, to the to the Marines I'd met previously in service. And I don't say it lightly when sometimes uh, I, you you would meet great men like um, my CEO at Four Five Commando, Mike. Um, was almost that's just a strange thing to say, but he would almost radiate this amazing energy and um, and calm. But you know, some of the Marines I met at Hazard Company were 
with that tenfold. They were incredible individuals who'd, who'd overcome things I could never dream of. And they really helped me. They mentored me and um, helped me see that, that having issues it isn't this big drive at the end. Because I was very worried at that time that, that I was going to be leaving the Marines. And um, that was all I'd ever wanted to do. You know, I'd seen yeah. myself coming out of service, you know, in 30 years time, not, not in seven years. And they galvanized me. They, they really galvanized. Me. And then obviously I was discharged and um, things, things progressed from there. And I, I, I sort of didn't have a very good two years outside of, um, outside of the system. But, we, you know, I'm, we can talk about that if you'd like. Yeah. Like, what, what, does it, what does it feel like for you, Chris? Like, how, how do you feel when you're going through these states of mind? What is it that comes across you when, when you're getting discharged? You know, like, what, what, what's the moments where you feel like this is something that I can't carry on with? You know, when was the moment in the Marines where you felt like you had to step out of it and sort of take up that rehab, that treatment? So initially, uh, when I was ordered to have company, I refused initially uh, and said that I wouldn't go because I was convinced that it would be a graveyard for my career. And then when I got there, much the same. I, you know, I was constantly trying to push to get back into the core. But, you know, with, with the uh, benefit of hindsight, I, I can look back now and see that it, it just wasn't, I just wasn't able to serve, you know, and that's something that I'm still sort of struggling to accept because, you know, you want to be in the team. You want to be the, the strong member of the team. You want to fit in. You want to, you want to serve your service. You want to serve the men around you. And that was very hard to come to terms with. And I, I think it was a range of emotions, really, obviously anger, um, shame, depression, you know, the existential dread of, of realizing that, that this wasn't going to work out for me. And, and it was somewhat unfinished for me. There were things that I wanted to do in my career, but could no longer do. And, you know, the command staff at Hazard Company were amazing. They, they really placated me. They, they allowed me to join a training team at uh, uh, Limpston, where we trained the Marine recruits. And it became very obvious that I just couldn't keep up anymore. And, it, and again, with the benefit of hindsight, I can look back now and, and see that moment as a, as a cornerstone and say, okay, but look, it wasn't going to work out. I don't need to answer that question anymore. But it, it's so hard. I mean, you, you go from a world where there's very easy schools to comply with. There's, there is a chain of command, so to speak. There is a food chain. You, you have your place in the food chain. There are specific social rules that you abide by and, and that will enable you to get on with the, the rest of the tribe. And then when you come outside, it's, it's very strange. There are no rules anymore. Everybody, nobody can understand what you're saying because you're talking another language and, and you're still, and this is probably unfortunately very common, you're, you're still holding on to the Marines for dear life somehow. You're still identifying as a Marine. And um, it's incredibly debilitating, especially when you're trying to start a new life you're trying to rehab yourself and overcome like horrible mental health issues or, or physical issues I, I really think that there is a lot more that can be done for uh, that transition what is there at the moment or when you were uh, when you left the marines what is there in place like right now if there's much at all um so for me again i was very very lucky to be in as company i'm very lucky i had a a leaving schedule. I had time off to sort out a new career. I had funding to help me out with a new career. I had mentors. I had almost anything available to me to, um, to help me out with that. But the guys who are leaving, who are outside of Hazard Company, I could be speaking out of school year, but as, as you know, it's two weeks and, and you're, you're done. You're, you're, you're on City Street the next week. It's, um, it's tough. It's really tough. 
Yeah, I, mean, I, I feel I feel like I can relate a lot. I think it'll be on a different level, a different degree, but the sort of navigating the next moments in your life after you've broke away from something which has been literally for rugby for me was was my life before before I even joined a professional team, you know, and, and that was sort of where you, you put your life into and, and everything that you measure yourself by and the the repeat action of it and the repeat practice of it and the, the sort of self-confirming nature of it. It's quite a big thing. Mm. And being on the other side of it, yeah. I have the ups and downs now where I have like an anxiety, I can carry around an anxiety with me at times. And for me, I feel like that anxiety is from the breaking away from, from the game and, and sort of, it's almost like a massive breakup, a relationship breakup. And you carry that around mm. with you. And I feel like yeah. it projects on other areas of my life. It stops mm. you being that that sort of confident, naturally sort of like in flow type of person. And, that, and that's that's where that's I sort of relate to you. I think when you're, you're a passionate person and, and you uh, you want to garner excellence in your chosen field, you become very enamored with your field. And I think it becomes a big part of your personality. You know, you, you identify as a, as a Marine or as a rugby player. And when that's taken, it's, you know, it's almost like you have to start again. It is, as you said, a, it is a breakup. Yeah, it's a breakup. Man. I wonder if it's even a bit a bit further than that. And like both of you are grieving for a fer- for a version of yourself which will mm. never come to be. Like Stevie, I'm sure. Mm. But I know you haven't spoken to you, and like there's a version of you who would have gone on to captain the Rhinos further and done more in rugby and perhaps international. And and Chris as well. I presume you know you said you wanted a long career in the Marines, and now that's not the future that now lays ahead of you. So there's like, undoubtedly there's going to be a natural grieving process. I'm sure we'll get on to what um, you've learned from that, Chris, in ways that in some ways maybe that was an amazing turning point and you're going to have a better future now ahead of you. But there's no doubt that like, that's a huge amount for young men to in your positions to take up. I, I, it is a grieving process. And breakups are a grieving process as well, I guess. But mm-hmm. some of you, you're grieving for a future self that, that's never going to, be if that makes sense yeah i agree completely it's uh, yeah. it's tough you know especially if you, you don't have the right people around you you don't have support networks in place and then on top of that i mean throw in mental health issues physical issues mobility issues you know your loss of place in the tribe you're an outcast now you know from the rest of your tribe you have to try and integrate into this strange world that you probably never had any real interest in anyway if, if you were joining mm-hmm. such a cut-off club Chris, you yeah. mentioned a few times um, uh, mental health issues. At what point in your journey did you become aware that you had kind of mental health issues? Because often, I speak from personal myself, sometimes when you're in the storm, you sometimes don't really realise that there is stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, usually when it hits a crisis point, you're like, wow. And then now you can look back and think, oh, God, for those few years, I was just... Is there a point where you kind of became yeah. aware? Um, and how long do you think it was kind of going on for? I mean, like I said, I think I had a lot of childhood issues anyway that I'd sort of stuffed down and, and never really dealt with because, I mean, I'm 33. So, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't talk about mental health. We, we, you know, we stuffed things down. We didn't, we had a stiff upper lip. And for, I mean, I, I can laugh looking back now, but um, the moment I realized something was wrong was my commanding officer suggested I, I talk to the, to the mental health nurse. Um, so being a dutiful Marine, I showed up and, and decided that I was going to lie through my teeth for this to this poor woman and, and, and do what I had to do to get, to get back in the gang. 
And you know, the conversation went fine. We had a we had a really nice conversation for about an hour. And she said, Okay, we don't need to talk anymore. Off you go, Chris. As I was walking out the door, she asked me a simple question. And she said, just out of interest, Chris, in my inner dialogue in my head, how many voices do you hear? And I smiled and laughed and said, Three, just like everybody else, and went to walk out the door. And she said, I think you should sit back down now. Um, and then explained to me that that wasn't normal, that wasn't right. And um, that for me was a, was a huge moment. And, you know, now I can look back and laugh because it's, it's, it's almost funny that, that I was so incredulous to, to what was going on. But I think that was the big moment for me. And then, you know, prior to, to joining Has the Company, I was still very much in denial, convincing myself that, that I was just having a hiccup and that this was just a bit of upset and was nothing to worry about and that everything would be fine. And then, you know, I actually got to Has the Company and saw all the other, you know, wounded Marines and, and mental health cases and, and, and picked up the general vibe there, I realized that, that this wasn't going to work out, you know, and that, that I had some serious issues that, that needed to be worked on and, and, and needed to be dealt with. But I was still very much in the phase there where I didn't want to deal with things. I didn't want people's help. I didn't need people's help. I wasn't willing to accept what was going on. Yes, tough, very tough situation. Thanks for telling us that. It's, it's, I think it's such a, a strong thing to, to talk about. I think, we, we, you know, when we're talking about mental health, you can almost get caught up on the sort of traditional ways that it, it sort of manifests in terms of depression and anxiety and stuff. But, you know, for you to acknowledge that firstly with her and then to get back and sort of move forward through that. And I know it's something that you say that you're still sort of coping with and dealing with with PTSD. What What's your relationship with PTSD like now and since those moments coming back as uh, uh, onto Civvy Street if you like you know how's that been managed for you and, and what's the sort of best form of support that, that you've gained you know is it is it, is it talk therapy is it is it medication is it the veteran games that the community side of it and, and relating to all these guys that, that you go and compete with there you know what what sort of strings are they to your support system that that has been uh, imperative um, so when I was in the when I was in Has Company initially, unfortunately, there is a, a, a culture of medication, 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 medication. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you know there are some some other uh, other methods that are that are less westernized. But you know the main effort is medication and therapy. And um, for me, I don't feel like antidepressants and antipsychotics are, are a great mix for people. I think that they just numb you out and dumb down the problem. So getting off medication was a was a big thing for me, um, you know, and that came, uh, I think, as we've sort of discussed before, I, I had a suicide attempt that, that didn't go very well, that, and I used medication. And um, luckily, as a, as a byproduct of that, my kidneys couldn't deal with medication anymore. So, you know, moving on from that, I engaged with a few charities. I couldn't really find a therapist that I liked to work with. Um, and then I ran into an organization called Rock to Recovery, and they're a grassroots charity who are funded by a, a former Marine who was also in Hazard Company, um, Jamie Sanderson, and they're incredible. They're absolutely incredible. They're probably one of those therapists I've tried that has worked tangibly on the day. And they are a mix of uh, talking, philosophy, uh, meditation, hypnosis, conventional rewind therapy, EMDR. They, um, they really have so many strings in their bow. Um, but, you know, again, as you mentioned, a huge thing for me was the veteran games and sport. You know, I was very isolated when I when I left the Marines initially. I was very isolated. And that was my fault. I I, I typically pushed everybody away and, and disappeared for two years. 
you know, anybody that messaged me, I would block them. I wouldn't open my mail because I, I, I didn't want to connect with people to that, to that degree. I wouldn't open post, wouldn't answer the door. You know, I, I think um, the, the most people would have seen it of me is, um, is me walking into my flat with a, with a 24 pack of pickled onion monster munch and a crate of Stella. Um, and that's all you'd see of me, you know, day in and day out. But I got invited to the veteran games and was very apprehensive at first. I didn't do well in crowds back then. I was very physically, you, you could see my anxiety manifesting. I would shake and tremor and stutter. And, um, you know, going to Israel seemed like a, a massive step backwards for me. But, you know, when I got there, strangely enough, the, the brotherhood I felt and the camaraderie I felt from just being around um, other people with issues was was incredible. Because I, I think I'd fallen into this trap of... Um, of self-hatred and, and thinking that I was the only sick person in the world and that, and that I had it worse and the universe was unfair. Um, and being around people who, who, who had the same with me and, you know, had comparatively worse issues than me was really humbling. It was so humbling to be around those people and really refreshing to, to be reminded that, that even though, you know, we're not in service, the veteran community is still so relevant. We're still a brotherhood. We're still a family. We still love each other. We still support each other. We're, we're all there for each other. And, you know, a, a big part for me was competing in the games. You know, and I'd, I'd agreed to come to the games under the condition that I wouldn't compete because I didn't think I'd be able to. And at the time, the core regimental sergeant major, uh, Phil Gilby, egged me on to compete. I'd just started out in MMA uh, and jiu-jitsu, so I was a, a physical specimen. And he wanted me to compete in the CrossFit. He somehow were conjoled and, and, and convinced me to, to compete in the first station, uh, I think, which was, which was press-ups, and ended up setting a PB on the station. And he said, oh, come on, mate, one more, one more. And obviously, I'm very uncomfortable at this point, but I'm feeling some sort of strange elation because I'm, I'm achieving for the first time in probably two years, three years. Mm -hmm. I'm doing something, and I'm doing it well. Um, and I ended up going around the whole circuit, smashed every station, um, took gold, and I kind of realized that night as I was trying to decompress and bring myself back down from, from the day's events that, you know, it was really hypocritical of me to sit there and say that I'm worthless and, you know, I'm horrible and, uh, and, and, you know, you're no good. How can, how can I, uh, how can I keep saying that about myself? If, if I've just competed and, and won at something, mm -hmm. something that I didn't think I would be able to do, it really made me think that, um, you know, these thoughts that we have sometimes about ourselves are so, are so flimsy. They're so flimsy. They sound great upstairs in the echo chamber, but, you know, the minute they come out, they, they don't make sense. They, 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 there's no truth to them a lot of the time. Just a quick one, guys. We have had two new counsellors join the team here at Mentality. If you are at a stage in life where you are struggling to manage your mind and it keeps affecting your happiness, it is time to do something about it. You can finally allow yourself the time to sit down with one of our mentality counsellors who will understand what you are going through. They'll help you understand why you are struggling and they'll give you the tools to get back to being happy and the best that you can be. A lot of the time, we just need to clear up any unwanted thoughts and emotions so that we can show up in life the way that we want to. Mentality counselling is available in Yorkshire, Lancashire and the South East, including London. Sessions can be in person, face-to-face -face therapy or walking therapy. Alternatively, all counsellors can deliver sessions via Zoom. 
go to mentality.co.uk forward slash counselling to start your journey. Just to, just to jump back slightly, but that two-year period where you know you talked about like drinking and eating bad and cutting people away. How did um, that Chris get coaxed into trying MMA and jiu-jitsu and eventually veteran games? But what, what was that? Was there uh, some pivotal moment there or character or yeah? Yes, yes. Um, so firstly, my old sergeant major Jim Morris uh, showed up at my door one day uh, and asked me where the hell I'd been for the last two years. Uh, and I was a very big boy then. I was about 120 kilogram of Stella and Monster Munch. Um, and he, <laughs> um, and he really sort of helped push me on the straight and narrow again. And you know, the accommodation I was living in at the time, I remember it was Christmas and I had no heat in, I had no oven, I had no microwave. It was terrible, you know, it was terrible. Um, and that was all, that was all me. That was my fault. You, you know, I, I cut myself off and, and, and I thought I deserved to live like that. But, you know, Jim pushed me on the straight and narrow and, and helped me get new accommodation, helped me, um, helped me sort of realize what I was doing to myself. And then, you know, the biggest, probably one of the biggest things for me was jujitsu. And that, I hate to say it, but I feel like it's divine intervention or some sort of cosmic, some sort of cosmic event. I just moved into my new accommodation, but I was still very unhappy. I mean, obviously accommodation just on sort years of mental health problems. And I'd kind of decided at this point that I was going to hurt myself again and that I didn't I didn't want to be around anymore because because I didn't see things changing and and I remember very specifically thinking constantly that I can't do another 30 years of this this is this is yeah, I don't want to do another 30 years of this and nothing's going to change and I went outside uh, for a cigarette and a man called Sam Sheriff bumped into me saw my marine tattoo uh, on my arm and said hey mate are you a bootneck and I was like, yeah, who are you? Um, oh, I'm a bootneck as well. And obviously, I probably looked at state. I'd been crying and was very upset. And, and uh, he told me that he did an organization called Reorg, um, which is designed to get veterans into jiu-jitsu. And he asked me what I'd planned to do that evening. Uh, and I said, I'm probably going to top myself. And he told me to wait there. And he took me to the gym uh, 20 minutes down the road on the spot uh, and introduced me to jiu-jitsu. I had no idea what it was, but... You know, it's been fundamental, absolutely fundamental. I mean, as someone who's ingratiated themselves into sport, you'll know that sport is is incredible. You, you know, you almost can't describe the the effect that it has on people. It's so beneficial physically, mentally, and spiritually. But I, I, again, I, I just think it was cosmic coincidence that, that I happened to bump into Sam Sheriff, and, and he he almost certainly pushed me along on the, on the start of my recovery for sure. That's amazing, mate. It's well, like you almost yeah. you almost need like conditions around you to push you back into that pathway for yourself that sort of like good version mm. for yourself the one that goes out to achieve that believes in themselves that sort of reconfirms that good state of mind I guess me and Chris were chatting just before coming on and from your bio you, you talk about the conditions needed to grow and you talk about the flowers needing precise conditions to mm. grow and, and to flourish but you almost state that suboptimal conditions that's needed for human beings to grow. What's your thinking behind that? I think, um, I mean, I've kind of garnered these thoughts through uh, my own journey, my own momentum. And I'm also a massive, massive believer in stoicism and philosophy. Uh, and I never ever want to glamorize suffering or, or glamorize human pain that we can experience at times. But if you can use it as a tool, 
it is almost certainly going to grow your character. You know, if you can face adversity, something that was instilled in me as a Marine, if you can have courage in the face of adversity, then you will grow almost assuredly just by facing a tough moment. And as I said, I think these perfect conditions that we face, I mean, I can't imagine a life more distressing than waking up with a smile on my face every day, knowing that nothing's going to go wrong and I'm never going to face any challenge. It seems almost horrifying. It's something out of the Stepford Wives. And having, having learned these lessons, you know, you almost get to a point where you want to experience challenge. You seek it out actively. You don't want to experience comfort anymore. You want discomfort because you know that these rewards are going are gonna to come to you eventually. And that's a huge thing for people on any sort of recovery journey is realizing that this pain is valid. The suffering is valid. It can all be used, but it does very much depend on the individual. You can't sit there and revel in it. You can't almost base yourself in, in self-suffering. You have to take it on the chin. You have to journey through the adversity and you have to use it as a weapon. Yeah, this is something I've uh, we've chatted before, definitely. And I kind of, I've grappled with where I stand perfectly on it or what's the optimum. I think uh, I've mentioned it before about, you hear a lot of boxers who say uh, they are who they are in the ring because of what they've been through and all the tough times. And that's what makes them so resilient and be able to face adversity. And then they'll say, I don't want my kids to go through what um, what I went through. But you always think, but you want them to have what you have. You want them to have your resilience. Mm-hmm. So how do you, obviously you don't want your kids to have to go through some of the things that maybe people have had horrible backgrounds. So, you know, you look at Mike Tyson's background and it's, it's horrendous, but where's the, is it like going to the gym and pushing yourself that way enough? Or is it, it'll just life sometimes give you enough as well, but yeah, but what's your thoughts and like advice for people who maybe do live in a middle class kind of suburban, quite nice life now? And yeah, what 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 are your top tips on that? What what are your thoughts? You know, luckily we live in a, in a nice Western world where we're supposedly in a first a first world country where you know life is great and we don't face much adversity in the day to day, which is great. I'm so I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful that people don't need to to starve and and all that good stuff. But you can certainly generate your own adversity. For me, it's jujitsu. I find that when I'm out of breath, I'm dying. There's a there's a 120 kilogram man on top of me trying to choke me out. I can't think about anything else except that moment. And you have to overcome yourself in that moment to to get the tap, to get the win. So you can you can generate your own adversity. Go on a hard run. Set yourself a target. Set yourself a goal. Set yourself a 10k run. Sign up. Sign up in 12 weeks. And you will face the adversity for the next 12 weeks. And it will be horrible. It will be horrible. You'll worry, you'll sweat, you'll think that you're never going to make it. But after those 12 weeks and you do the 10K, it doesn't matter where you place. You, you, you will have grown fundamentally, physically, spiritually, mentally. It's all about creating your own resistance, creating your own adversity. And, and how you do that, there's so many different ways. For me, it's physical. I, I'm a physical being. Uh, I like to be pushed physically because I believe it pushes me mentally. And when I'm pushed mentally, I'll push myself spiritually. Yeah, you, you, you certainly have to generate your own adversity. Don't sit around and wait for life to, to throw problems at you because, you know, hopefully they're, they're few and far in between. Yeah. And I guess if you wait for life to throw problems at you, life might throw a big problem at you that you haven't got any oh, resilience yeah. to, to oh. face. Um, so you probably mm. want to be trying to cultivating this idea of thriving in suffering or... Uh, at least accepting it and moving forward to prepare you for things that just things come around the corner. Yeah. It's coming. It's coming anyway, isn't it? So you, you might as well. Whether you want it or not, life's going to yeah, give you yeah. some. 
Yeah. It's gonna come. It's gonna come for you. But I, just as you were talking, then Chris on setting those challenges, I sort of reflecting on on myself as you're talking and thinking about. It's almost that in the world of coaching and sort of high performance, it's it talks about there being sort of two versions of self, and there's the self one and the self two. And the self one is is that one who is mostly ego, and the one who thinks his way through things and um, thinks that it's got it covered, it'll stress and it'll worry and it'll just continuously go and try to package whatever's going on up into something that it can bring out a concept of it or a, a game plan or a template or whatever. But the self too, it's sort of the thing that takes over and, and just knows what it's doing and it's sort of muscle memory mm. and it's it's in the flow of life. It's in those moments when things are happening and then you're not really aware of them. It's just flowing through you and happening. And I think that's that's one thing that with, with my injury at the minute, it stopped me accessing that, you know, the, the sort of metaphor for that would be me sat in the change rooms, worrying, stressing and being concerned about how the game's going to go and what it means if, we, if it doesn't go well and all these sort of fears. But as soon as you hit the pitch and you make the first tackle, that self two kicks in and you have something which is a part of you but it's not readily accessible and I like to think about these sort of different versions and how you access them and I'm just thinking in in the case of yourself you're a very unique man you're a very unique man and you've been through a lot of stuff and you also you, you, you've passed out with the Marines but you also have, have had these mental struggles which you know, you talk about the 99% need not apply. You know, there's even bigger percent that need not apply to, to go through what you have gone through with the PTSD and those two years where there's so much self-angst and, and, and self-hatred. Is is there some sort of like makeup of your mind and your mental health that you feel like offers you the ability to pass out of the Marines and touch on that self-belief that verges on insanity. That's a quote that you've got, that, that you've mentioned in, in the bio for the CrossFit. Where's that Where's that touch point? You know, where's that touch point? And for me, like, just, just listening to your story and looking at your story, it, it seems like it does go into the place which is not helpful and it's, it's sort of torments you and puts you down. But there's also a side of that, or there's on that spectrum a place which allows you to pass out of the Royal Marines and to go through that challenge and come out the other side and to be motivating people on the other side of it. So it's like, you know, we try and think in good and bad and negative and positive in the world. But, you know, like, how do you feel about your mindset? How do you feel about your state of mind? How do you feel about the the times of torment and, and those feelings of, of different monologues in your in, in your head like how does that all come together to to let you achieve something great that's, that's a tough question I think it's probably things the Marines have instilled in me this mm. dogged determination to be your own personal greatness um, I, I really believe that, that as individuals we're a collection of our sons you know and, and I feel like every influence that that I've been touched with has, has led me to this point and I always talk about my mindset as a toolbox. 
And when you first buy a toolbox, you don't have any tools, but then you slowly start adding things in, like the people around you, a therapist, mindfulness, meditation. You start throwing in the physical activity. You start throwing in ambition. You start throwing in all these wonderful tools. And then you can, you can quite literally have this toolbox full of amazing uh, coping mechanisms and strategies that negate or can, can help to negate your issues. But I'm also a firm, firm believer that, that everything that's happened uh, and the man I am today and, and the issues that, that I deal with and people with mental health in general deal with, I think they can be like a massive, massive boom. I think they can be such an advantage. You know, let's, let's take jujitsu, for example. I might get tapped out and I do quite regularly, but there's nothing that's going to beat me on that mat. There's nothing that's going to beat me on that mat. Anything that you can think of on that mat, I've done far worse. I've sat there at 4 a.m. and, and questioned the, the existential dread. And I've been in that depressive loop for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. And there's nothing that can beat me now. There really is. And I, and I don't want that to come across as arrogant, but there's nothing that can beat me now. My issues have shown me that I'm so much stronger than I thought I was. And again, the... The things the Marines instilled in me, these, these dogged determinations to be the best possible version of you for the people around you, it's so, so important. It's such a tough question to answer. But I think mindset is fluid. It really is fluid. You can just keep working on it. You can keep working on it and keep adding to it. And as you experience more and more adversity and you garner these tools for your toolbox, you become stronger and stronger and stronger if, if, if that's what you want. If you're able to do that, you can become stronger and stronger and stronger just by facing whatever issues it has. And I don't think that, that my issues in particular, complex PTSD, depression, that they're not lofty illnesses. They're, they're common and average, unfortunately, for, for people these days. You know, everybody's capable of this. Everybody's capable of battling themselves. They just need to start walking on the path. How, how do you use mindfulness, Chris? Like, how, how does that come into your life? Uh, mindfulness is something my therapist suggested and I hate to admit it, but I did take a, a typically masculine approach to it. What do you mean sitting down with my thoughts? Like, I go close my eyes and think about my problems. That's, that's not going to help things. I got things to do. I got push-ups to do. I got people to choke yeah. out. I got to make moves. But I think for, for me, I, I kind of, the more I got into it and, and the more I sort of realized what it was and I got into it through apps. I just downloaded, uh, uh, let's, let's say, uh, other brands may be available, but I used the Calm app. And I, I realized that sitting with myself isn't some crazy hippie thing to do. You know, I'm not having a spiritual experience. I'm just sitting quietly with my eyes closed and allowing myself mm -hmm. to decompress. Huge. I think it's so, so important, mindfulness. Something that I always talk about, even if it's just a minute in the morning. For, for me, I do it in the shower. I close my eyes. Uh, I, I won't uh, describe the rest of the scene, but I allow the thoughts to come to me for the day. I reason with myself. I reason with the thoughts. I'm objective and, and kind. And, and the thoughts go away. I think this, this conception that when you meditate, you'll be empty it is ludicrous. Yeah. I, I think the thoughts need to come. I think that's the purpose. But you kind of realize that you can't control them. They come whether you want them to or not. They're just almost randomly generated noise sometimes it, and you don't choose what comes up it's just you can choose how you respond to it yeah. um, or if a thought grabs you no. like an angry thought or something yeah as you said there is a choice into how long you can stay on that train and you can work at getting off earlier and then you can probably work at letting that train just go by and not getting on it 
I think a lot of the time, especially when we're angry, stressed, or, or depressed, or, or you know, pick an emotion, it, it can almost seem like we're observing that emotion. It, it's almost like it's running around inside our mind, and, and we have little to no control. Uh, and for me personally, I, I realized that the moment I engage with that thought uh, and start to question it, which, which was a, a byproduct of mindfulness and stoicism, you know, let's say I was angry, I, I would, instead of just being angry, and letting it flow and, and watching it run around and destroy things, um, I, I realized I needed to engage with that and ask, like, what's going on? Why are you angry? Do you need to be angry at the moment? What's made you angry? Is it worth being angry? And the minute I engage with those feelings and don't sit there and watch them run around and, and run riot out of my control, it takes the power away from it completely. There's a CBT element kind of to that as well, isn't it? Like actually asking, mm. uh, confronting the thought and then thinking, not catastrophizing it and sometimes I think like what would my what would I say to my friend if they asked if they said this is what they're thinking because we're far nicer to our friends than we are to ourselves inside so yeah I try, try and reframe it that way yeah. so do you compete in uh, in MMA or Jiu-Jitsu these days or is it purely like a training practice kind of thing um, started off training and practicing with um, no intention to compete and then I started competing in grappling and I did a few uh, not fights, but MMA tournaments. And I'm just about to move across country. So so at the minute, training is sort of taking a bit of a backseat at the moment. But I think when I when I do land in my new digs, uh, competition is going to be a big thing for me. I think that's the the next level because, again, I'm, I'm garnering my own adversity. I'm creating my own challenge. And by doing that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to garner my own personal momentum as well. And I'm more than happy to admit that, you know, that's a, a scary prospect for me. You know, I'm, I'm not an aggressive guy naturally. And, and uh, you know, the thought of being locked in a cage with someone is, is a scary thought. But, you know, I, I can also recognize the challenge within that. That's a challenge. You know, I have to step mm-hmm. up. I have to, I have to meet this goal. I have to meet this goal. And, and like we mentioned earlier, it's all about constant challenge, finding adversity, creating my own adversity. Yeah. Yeah, big, big part of my life, I think, hopefully. Cool. Have you got ambitions as to where you think that would go? Or are you just step-by-step kind of thing? Uh, for me, I think it's all about personal greatness for me. I mean, I'm 33, lads. I'm an old man, you know. My, my MCL and ACL is going to go at any minute. So for me, it's more about uh, the, cha- the the personal challenge. C- can I do this? Can I do this? Yes, I can. Again, just finding these goals. And a, a big thing for me was realising that Fear is almost a compass. The minute you're scared of something, you should be heading towards that. And I'm not talking about, oh, I'm scared about jumping off cliffs. Don't, don't do that. But if you're scared of, let's say you, you want to you <laughs> pick an MMA fight as like your challenge and, and it's scary to you, well, that's the direction you should be going because it's uncomfortable and that's how you're going to grow the most. Yeah, completely. Related. You're not, you don't, you don't want to be the sorry. So you, you're not aiming to be UFC champion in, uh, in two years or something. Oh, lads, I mean, I'd love to, lads, but... Like I said, MCL, ACL is going to go at any minute. <laughs> Chris, o, Chris o just wants a mate in the MMA, don't you, mate? I've been a big fan of UFC for like, since uh, I'm 34 yeah, now. Yeah. I remember like Quinton Jackson facing um, Dan Henderson in UFC London. Must be like 15, 20 years ago. And I was just like, this is just incredible. Like, what a sport. And uh, some of the characters, in it, I'm sure you know as well, Chris, and some of the stories and journeys... Um, I think I think it's just a fascinating. I think it's it's really widely misconceived in the greater public as well. Yeah, it's 
one of the most beautiful and peaceful sports I've ever come across. If you go into an MMA gym, I think you have this connotation that there are going to be large, burly, topless men with foul language, but but it's really not. It's one of the most encouraging and beautiful places you can go to. You know, the people there realize it takes minerals to walk into the door. They realize that you're trying to better yourself and, and they appreciate you trying. I mean, I really had a chip on my shoulder when I left the Marines. I had that typical, I'm a veteran mentality. You know, for my sins, a big part of getting out of that was, was realizing that, that there are people overcoming themselves and and some of the guys I met in that MMA gym, I mean, they embody the characteristics of Marines tenfold. Some of the guys in there are, are some of the bravest, most dedicated, disciplined people I've ever met. And being, I'm a firm believer that the people you surround yourself with are, are what make you in, in no small part. You know, the rising tide does lift all ships. And the qualities of the people I see in, in a sport that to the outside eye looks like, and I mean, don't get me wrong, it's knees, elbows, and four-ounce gloves. It's, it's not pretty, but there's something so beautiful about it. It's so beautiful. It's facing that challenge and that determination. And, you know, you were saying about the, the characters we, we see in the UFC, I overcoming suffering, the symptom of overcoming adversity. It seems to be such a common theme. Every time, you meet a, every time you meet a great sportsman, a great person, they've all overcome suffering. They've all overcome adversity. It's true. That's true. I'd love to go on, guys, but I've got to nip off and try and and get some treatment to make my brain better so that I can plunge myself into jiu-jitsu very soon. I'd love <laughs> yeah. to do that. I'd love to do that. But man, this has been a really great chat, especially from you, Chris Hayes. You've been uh, you've been uh, brilliant, mate. Ultimate respect, mate, for Thank you, boy. For your career, mate, your your journey and the lessons that you're pulling out. And I think it's mega and I'm sure we'll be able to do stuff in the future. And um, you've got all of our support here, pal. Yeah, man, let's make this a part one, Chris. Let's check in again. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think there's, yeah, it'd be good to dive into other things you're thinking about moving forward and, yeah, keep uh, keep an eye on your journey. So keep in touch and we'll we'll have a part two, 100%. Cheers, Chris. Thank you. That was awesome, boys. Thanks again for having me. It's, uh, it's been great. Cheers, boys. <laughs>